everybody. My name is Alex Day. I'm a Michigan fan, and I am dead inside. As are my co-hosts, Ethan and Corey. We, uh, we're not happy. We're, we're actually the exact opposite of happy. We're depressed. But if you happen to enjoy pain, please subscribe to the show. Because you'll get about 350-ish days of it. Did I, did, I, did, it, did I do a good job of summing up the weekend? Oh, hey, welcome to the big show. Oh, yeah, that's the big show. <sighs> the Bringing you the best and this week the worst of Big Ten football. Because football sucks and I hate that I love it. Yep. And that's the episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, you can subscribe uh, to our Spotify and uh, Apple Podcast page. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, see you never. I'm going to go crawl in a hole and die. The only the only positive is that Ohio State also lost. And, and the fact that Michigan lost is also the only positive for Ohio State this weekend. Could there, you imagine? There's no, there's no positives for either team. There's no positives. It could have been worse. Only I, I looked at Grace on New Year's Eve. I TCU, looked at Grace and I said, TCU Ohio State wins if, this game. If TCU plays the way that they did against Michigan, they can beat Ohio State and they can beat Georgia. Yeah, but I told Grace on New Year's Eve, if Ohio State wins, it'll officially be the worst sports night of my entire life. Like it wouldn't have even been close. And Ohio State fans would have felt the same way if Michigan had won and they had lost in the fashion that they did. Losing last year in the first round of the playoff to Georgia felt like a a, a stepping stone. It felt like a building block to get to where Michigan was this year. Yeah, but this year felt like they slipped and fell on their face. This year felt like when Michael Scott fell in the koi pond. this, this This year was getting back to that level and then being the favorite in that game. And like, you, you feel like you're just going to go out there and you're going to take a massive step forward and make it to a national championship game in which I feel like Michigan would have a very, very great chance of beating Georgia in the national championship game, especially seeing them go up against a high level team like Ohio state. Um, and obviously knowing what Michigan did against them, I would feel very confident, especially if Michigan was able to put a drive together on that last drive and score the touchdown that they needed. <clears throat> I would have felt like, man, that team just fought through the most adversity in the funnest football game I've ever watched in my life and now gets to play for a national championship. And instead, it's just misery and heartbreak and it's I mean obviously as a Michigan fan it's really tough as an Ohio State fan it's really tough um I think yeah. you were the better team in that game against Georgia I think Michigan was the better team against TCU um but they just they gave up I, I, I mean I don't know what Jesse Minter's defensive scheme was we haven't seen that all year for Michigan. 
um, them selling out, it's been contain, 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 and there was no containment. And the floodgates just broke loose. And it was, you know, and then you had good old Ohio State safeties not knowing how to play football and just letting wide receivers run rampant down the field. So, so let's, all right, we gotta, we gotta start somewhere. We gotta start somewhere. Cause we could just, I mean, I could word vomit about these games, the Michigan game all day, but because we're Michigan fans, let's start out with the Ohio state game. Cause Michigan, we could talk about forever to start this show, but let's go to Ohio state, Georgia, Georgia, 42, Ohio State 41. The clock struck midnight on 2022 and Ohio State season literally at the same exact time. You want to hear something horrible too? I was at, try to follow, I was at my cousin's future in-law's house to, to hang out and watch the game on New Year's Eve. And when it got time for the field goal, my cousin's future mother-in-law changed the channel to the ball drop and I had to pull up the game on my phone to watch the field goal and I was late I was late to see the field goal like my another another person in the room got it first and I was like delayed because I was streaming and I was like are you kidding me how has no one stolen the remote and and made the correct decision here but but Ohio State loses by one. Uh, C.J. Stroud and Ohio Ohio State as a whole, they played their best football game of the year. That was the best I've seen them play. They dropped a turd against Michigan this year, but they took all the criticism and all the you're too soft, you can't hang with Georgia, Georgia's Michigan on steroids, they're going to roll you and said, watch this and went and played a freaking fantastic football game. C.J. Stroud had the game of his life, 348 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Ohio State had a 14-point lead in the first half and in the fourth quarter. He flew flew up draft boards in that game. I agree. I mean, I don't know how far he flew. He was already – like he was already guaranteed first round. But that erased so many question marks that people were going to have. Yep. Everybody was talking about how – when Stroud faced any sort of pressure, yeah, he, he was throw. not. He yeah, was not the same. Couldn't throw on the run. Yeah, couldn't throw on the run. Wasn't making accurate throws under pressure. And man, oh man, he answered so many of those questions in that game. Well, even so, he was able to bust off a couple of big runs too. And he's mm-hmm. he is probably out of maybe not Will Levis, but he's he's definitely a pocket passer quarterback and I don't think that's disputed at all but he made some big time plays with his legs I Uh, think he solidified himself being the second quarterback taken in the draft I would agree I would agree with that whereas there was a major question mark for that before this game took place yeah, there was. He had 34 yards rushing. I think 27 of them, not that's including sacks and stuff too, but 27 of them were on that run on the last drive to put them in field goal range, which I, I thought was like, oh my gosh, this is his like, this is his coming out moment. Like he's already a star, but people have, like you said, questioned the 
the big game ability that he has and that run, I was like, oh my gosh, he just did it. He just arrived on college football's <laughs> second biggest stage. And then Noah Ruggles goes out there after making a 25-yarder and a 49-yarder earlier in the game and shanks the crap out of that field goal. Like, that's what it would look like if I went and kicked that field goal. How long was that field goal? 50 yards. 50, yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't a gimme by any means. There was just something about it that when I saw it, I was just like, I, I don't know why, but I just thought, there's no way he's making this. I don't know why. He's made clutch field goals in the past. So I don't I don't know what it was. I would have been shocked. If if he would have made it, I would have been like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe he just made that. I thought for sure he was gonna miss it. Because I really did. I just for whatever reason, I was just like, he's not gonna make it. And didn't even come close, clearly, but man, what a what a what a game both of the games were if you're if you're not a fan of any of these four teams you are just like oh my gosh this is absolutely incredible and you guys this might be this year might have been the best possible year in the past 20 to have a 12 team to playoff in the past 20 seasons this might have been the best year to have a 12 team playoff it would have been for sure so, okay, Ohio State had two separate 14-point leads in this game. Like, whoever wants to go first, like, what did them in in this game? Like, I think there's a few things we could point through. I've got one or two things rolling in my head. But, like, Corey, what – I mean, how did Georgia end up pulling this off? I mean, there was a couple plays in, in busted coverage. Um, Ethan mentioned it a little bit earlier. Uh, safeties just forgot how to play football. It was kind of the same thing that happened uh, in the Michigan-Ohio State game as well. How wide open Cornelius Johnson was on, you know, a couple of his big catches and his long touchdown. Um, and I, I think, like, it, it's just a head-scratcher because everyone was talking about, about uh, Brock Bowers and how he would be such a game-changer. And he had a huge huge touchdown catch late in that game and he was there was nobody within you know 20 yards of him it's like how does that how does that happen with a player of that caliber and i get georgia's got a bunch of weapons all over the field say what you want about stetson bennett but he's been i mean the guy's a proven winner now in college he's you know my age but that doesn't matter he's still winning games um and it's just like ohio state could not limit the big play in this game. Um, and they were almost able to recover from that regardless because they were able to exchange those body blows uh, until the end. Because as soon as Stroud had that huge run that set him into field goal range, it was just like, as the Michigan fan in me, it just kind of like made my heart sink. Cause it's like, here's Ohio state. This is their, this is their commitment to excellence. This is why they're, you know, prepared for games like this because they've done it before and they've been able to find that big play from a player who steps up uh, and even not even in a strength. Um, but uh, you know, obviously the story of the game will be the missed field goal at the end. And there's been a ton of people saying Ohio state played a better game. Um, and that's, true that that's true um and as a michigan fan taking a step back and i'll always be biased i understand this and but utmost respect and kudos to ohio state because they're winners they've been winners for 
you know, decades. This is what this program is built on. But as the Michigan fan in me, a little bit of poetic justice because it would feel just so wrong for them, even though there's been national champions that haven't won their conference that have gone on to win the national championship a la Georgia last year. It just would not feel right for Ohio State to back into the playoff and then ultimately get a chance to play in the college football play or national championship. Um, so I, I don't know, karma it equals out. I don't know, but crazy, crazy. They couldn't stop the big play. That's what I think. I, <clears throat> I hate to oversimplify things and, and I know you're trying to get, you know, a lot out of that question, Alex. And I think Corey actually summed it up quite beautifully there um, with his analysis of it. And I already spoke to it a little bit, but man, in a, in a game like that, all you can do, all you can ask for is a chance to win the game. And Ohio state had that they had a 50 yard field goal. And I understand for, you know, a college kicker, 50 yards, definitely not a guarantee, nowhere close to a guarantee, but we know Noah Ruggles can make those kicks. We've seen him do it in the past. And I'm not trying to put it on the kid, on one kid, because I know there were so many things that happened in that game. But you put yourself, you're CJ Stroud, you put your your team in 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 a position to win that game and to miss that field goal, especially the way that he missed it. It's just like, Oh, you didn't even give yourself a chance, you know, and it sucks. And I, I, I honestly, just as a, a person, you know, you feel for the kid, it be, it, you know, that it, it's really tough to see something like that happen. And, um, I, I, I found myself in, in such a predicament because I, I was like, Man, I don't know that this has just been such an insane game and such a good game. And I really felt like Ohio State was the better team. I truly did. I felt like they played the better game and were the better team. And it was it was crazy. It was just a crazy game. And, you know, kudos to Georgia. They they did enough and and they won. And they will, you know, they're their favorites to go out now and win a national championship against TCU. But just an outrageously good game, just an awesome game, and you really can't hang your head if you're either team. I know if you're Ohio State, you're just like, man, how does that happen with that field goal? But just an outrageously good game. Yeah, it was a really good game. And to to answer my own question, um, in terms of how Georgia pulled it off, I think you can point to to two things. One would be Ohio State just I, – I do believe what you guys are saying, that they were the better football team overall throughout the game. But they didn't execute nearly as well in the second half. Ohio State in the first half of this game scored four touchdowns. And in the second half of this game, they scored one touchdown and two field goals. It was just a, a tale of two halves for their offense in terms of execution and scoring and being able to finish drives. And you're going to look back at that as an Ohio State fan and player and coach and say, you know what, I think we might have left points on the field. But I think even bigger than that, maybe not bigger than that, but another contributing factor 
And this is kudos to Georgia and to Kirby Smart. The timeout heard around the world. When Ohio State lined up to run a fake punt that would have been successful, and Kirby Smart called a timeout. Ohio State was up 38 to 27, eight minutes and 58 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And they ended up running the play and they converted. But officials started blowing the whistle. And you saw on the video, Kirby Smart did call that timeout in time. Yeah, Georgia that, got was, the ball that was absolutely insane. Like, I mean, there's a reason Kirby Smart is, you know, held in as high of regard as he is. But that was that was an incredible, you know, for for it just being something as simple as a timeout, it was probably the best one I've ever seen. And on the next play for Georgia, 76-yard touchdown pass. Like, flipped the game on its head. They went from being down 11, they converted a two-point conversion and made it a three-point game, all because of that timeout. Like, who knows what Ohio State does if they get that ball and continue that drive. So Kirby Smart... I mean, to shout out to him, the coaching staff, because they were telling him from above, too, that, like, you know, the formation looked weird, and he could tell it looked weird and just trusted his gut and called the timeout and ended up being a huge difference maker in that game. And, you know, it sucks for Ohio State because if you were going to beat Georgia, you needed Georgia to play like that. I mean, you won the turnover battle, one zip. Georgia was only two for ten on third down. They Georgia missed two field goals in this game. And – and this Georgia team, you weren't going to get them to play much worse than that. And to come up short, like you said, Ethan, you gave yourself a chance to win and one field goal goes wide left and, you, and you're and you not playing for a national championship. And it sucks. And it's going to suck for a long time. Um, Marvin, The Marvin Harrison play, real quick, yes or no answer. Was it targeting? I say no. Uh, I um... – at initially, when I saw the play, I was like, oh, targeting. Like, And they had thrown the flag. And I was like, oh, yeah, easy targeting. And then when I saw the slow motion replay, he led with his shoulder. And, I mean, you're you're going to catch the football. And he hit him with the, sh- he hit him with the shoulder, and he did make – he did not hit him helmet to helmet. Um, So I, I really – I think it was a clean hit. I mean, he – Obviously, absolutely obliterated him, but I think it was a clean hit. Corey, what what's what's targeting? What's a catch? What's a touchdown? What's a I I, I mean, no, I guess I, I just I don't I don't really know. It, it's everything is so inconsistent. But if you if you slowed the play down, it it seems like it wasn't. So that's. But in real time, it looked like it, and I guess that's why you have replay. So, I mean, I don't know. I, frankly, I, <sighs> I don't know. I'm just frustrated. Frustration because we'll talk about it when we get into the next game too. So, uh, Ohio State fans, we feel your pain. We're uh, we're all in the same boat this weekend. So, speaking of which, Michigan as a touchdown favorite. Loses to TCU 51 to 45. And I got done watching this game and I thought to myself, that's the first time in a long time 
that I thought Michigan got outcoached. But I don't think coaching was the only thing you can put this game on. Number one, TCU played a heck of a game. I mean, they hung in there with Absolutely. Michigan in the trenches like I thought was not possible by anyone, not just TCU. And they hung in there and played freaking tough, man. They played tough. But Michigan, from from the coaches to, you know, J.J. throwing two pick sixes and the fumble, I mean, Michigan, they, they were turning the ball over. They were – calling uncharacteristic plays on offense and defense. Like, they had to do so much, so much in order for TCU to win. And and as bad as they played, it was still a six-point game. I mean, I this game was over, and I said, if you had told me beforehand that Michigan was going to play their worst game of the year tonight, I wouldn't have thought it had looked this bad. And yet it was still a six-point game, and Michigan had the ball and could have gone down and, and scored and taken the lead. And they didn't. They shot themselves in the foot one too many times. Didn't get any help from the officials, but when you make as many mistakes as Michigan did, you don't get to blame the officials. And you got a feeling from, you know, if, as a Michigan fan you and the players on the team, I'm sure, feel the same way. They feel like they left something on the table this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to keep it in three segments because, um, you know, we're all excited for this game. We're all Michigan fans. We're all trying to watch with our fam and whatnot. So it's going to – it was supposed to be a fun New Year's Eve, but then it just ended up being an absolute just roller coaster of emotion. I was able to settle, and I talked to my dad, and I was like, this game for Michigan was the trifecta of crap. There's three reasons why. No, first and foremost, TCU was spectacular for the most part of the game. Uh, I thought we really got to see firsthand what made Max Duggan so special. He's just a gamer. He's a winner. Now, I hear me when I say this. I think Michigan did a pretty good job of containing him because I think he only made a couple of like deep, like big-time throws, but he was still able to scramble a little bit. He was able to make the plays that you needed to, and I honestly think – I don't think J.J. had a better game solely because of, for those two pick sixes – but I think JJ made more impressive throws than Max Duggan, which ultimately helped them helped keep them in the game. Um, but they TCU took exactly what was given to them. Um, Michigan's defense, I think, had such big problems because um, they had to respect TCU's wideout. So secondary was spread out across the field. So then you only have a couple of guys in the box. You have your four down linemen. You have you know, maybe a linebacker or less because he has to step back in coverage. And that's why TCU was able to have success, those four, five-yard carries throughout the game. And then to to try to respond to that, Michigan is trying to blitz more. But we've seen Michigan blitzing in big-time games, crossing routes, get past the one cornerback, and it's gone. It happened, I think, it happened at least once, but twice. It happened twice in that game. Um, and on TCU's defensive side of the ball, we were all talking about how the 3-3-5 was going to be just like field day for Michigan. Well, maybe it's because we only know that the 3-3-5 is not very good against the run because we had a head coach who didn't know how to run the 3-3-5, and he looked terrible doing it. TCU was able to build momentum towards the line of scrimmage while having their 
having their linebackers and then some secondary just coming downhill to completely stop. So if you have a head start against a running back that has to develop in the backfield, that kind of explains why Michigan wasn't able to run the ball as successfully as they did. Um, ultimately, I think the biggest thing, which would be number two, Michigan just shot themselves in the foot. They played their worst game. They were doing some things uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically of them. That fourth and two um, trick play at the beginning of the game, why on earth are you trying to run like a Philly special type thing? Just little slants, out routes, or just try to QB sneak it or something. You did that with JJ. Like you literally had a, a like a, a two to goal play against Ohio state. And you just ran with JJ to, it was like a QB counter or something like that. Why not do what you already done? Except uh, nope, we're just going to hand it off six times. And you know, boom, that kind of sets the tone and would have had an early lead in a game that was really important because you lost by six. Um, and then number two, just the blitzes um, all are the fourth or no, no, no. The one inch line when you got the, Roman Wilson call reversed. Why are you rushing? Why are you rushing a play? You literally have four tries to get one inch to get that ball across the, but yet you're trying to rush this play, give it to a guy who's carried the ball like six or seven times all year. It doesn't make sense. Just pound it in, do a QB sneak four straight times. I don't care, but there's no need to rush that play. Uncharacteristic of Michigan. And lastly, they didn't get any benefit of the doubt. Uh, for the Will Johnson interception early in the game, uh, the back line official put them down, I think, two yards or something like that, uh, you know, pr- or prior to where Will Johnson had the interception, which that doesn't really make any sense. And then ultimately that made a big deal because you throw the you throw the deep pass, JJ underthrew it, but it's down, you know, one inch short, plays an impact. There was a big play to Ronnie Bell jumping up in the air. He rolls over the top of the defender. He should have been down at the three, but he's down at the 10. And then Michigan doesn't get a touchdown out of that drive either. And then ultimately the big play that everybody's talking about, Roman Wilson was short. It looked to me like he was bobbling the ball and then finally maintained possession as the ball was crossing the plane. So I don't know how quickly you can overturn that play, but it was a head scratcher for everybody. And then maybe the least, I guess, heinous, just given at the time that it happened in the game, I think that's textbook targeting that hit that uh, Colson had at the end or that took at the end. I mean, it looked like the TCU defender led with the crown of his helmet. I get it. You can't make a decision that big off of a broken play where you fumble the snap. I understand. But if you're trying to do the rule of the book, that's targeting. In my opinion, does it make a difference? I don't know. But three horrible things happened for Michigan ultimately led to their downfall. And I'm not blaming anyone more except what Michigan could control because they were uncharacteristic this entire game. I think having the ball, I think back to the very first drive, the very first play of the game, you hand the ball off and Donovan Edwards rips it up the middle and you just, I mean, you have a chance to just absolutely rip TCU's heart out and just score a touchdown very first drive of the game. And you had the ball inside the one yard line twice and had zero points. And we're down, we're down 14, zero. 
because of a pick six and then allowing another touchdown. And in in the meantime, before before TCU had their first 14 points, you had had the ball inside the one twice and scored zero points. It, you you want to ask me what the difference in the game is? That's the difference in the game. You had the ball inside the one freaking yard line two times and came away with zero points. That comes down to execution. And when execution is poor, I blame coaching. I I I I just the the fact that that play call for the 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 rushed play and you're handing it off to a guy who never touches the football as an up man as a fullback on the play, how that goes through Jim Harbaugh's headset and he says yes, and then how you have fourth and goal from the two in a Philly special goes through Jim Harbaugh's headset and he says yes. I I I can't wrap my brain around that. I I truly can't. And I Michigan deserved to lose that game. I'm not going to talk about the 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 targeting at the end of the game because I think it's moot. Uh, they they didn't look like they had any clue how to move the football on that last drive. So I I mean was it targeting? Sure, probably. Michigan deserved to lose that game with the way they played. The okay. two pick fixes are, are are inexcusable. They cannot happen. One was a clear underthrow. The very first one was a clear underthrow. Horrible pass. And the the play calling on the offensive side of the ball for the entire first half of that game drove me mad. You had so many opportunities for J.J. if he was running a true read option, which he was not. And do not try and convince me otherwise. Because if he was, he'd be looking and reading the defensive end. And he never was. And he's handing it off when he could pull that ball down and run for 15, 20 yards and sometimes touchdowns. Because guess what? I saw it happen in the second half of the game when it was too late. Uh, so the, the the play calling to me, and, and guess what? You get no credit if you don't come back and win. So I don't want to hear about Michigan putting up 45 points because he gave up 51. So you get zero credit. The, the, the coaching in that game was absolutely horrendous. It is 100% where I put all of the blame for that loss. You have the ball inside the one twice and end up with zero points it's inexcusable at minimum you should have had 10 at bare minimum and guess what if you come away with 10 points off of those two possessions you win at you minimum win. you should have six and the game would have been tied at the end yep yeah uh i agree with just about everything of what you guys said. Uh, Corey, to your point about the three three five, I just want to talk about that for a second because I went into that game with the same shared experience of watching Rich Rodriguez run the three three five at Michigan and just people move the ball up and down the field on us at will. But I was talking to uh, my buddy Andy after, like the day after the game, and he played D3 football, and he's dabbled in, in coaching a little bit, but he's much more of an X's and O's guy than, than I am. And so sometimes we talk about this stuff. 
and he told me he 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 said the three three five. He's like everyone expects to be able to just run the ball on a three three five at will, just because there aren't as many guys in the box and there aren't as many D linemen on the line of scrimmage. He said, but it as a scheme, it fundamentally changes everything about an offense's blocking scheme. Everything. Because he said when you've got four down linemen or you're running like a 3-4, most of the time the D-line, they're lined up on the shoulder of a lineman. They're lined up like basically in a gap or on half of a lineman. And in a 3-3-5, they're lined up head on head. They're just straight up on an offensive lineman. And it changes the double teams. It it changes how you, you know, how you can get up to a backer, backer and it changes what's typically in your line of sight when you're playing a, a normal 3-4 or 4-3 defense. And when you have – now, the, why I think the 3-3-5 never works with Rich Rod is because we didn't have the athletes. TCU has athletes. Like, I suspect that, you know, in a year or two, we're going to look back and be like, oh, like TCU had some NFL players on their defense. Legitimately, I think we're going to look back and say that. Because a 3-3-5 doesn't work like that unless you've got super athletic and fast hybrid linebackers and safeties that can get downhill and fill gaps and stop the run and also play in space. So that's just a little bit on why I think the 3-3-5 was as effective as it was. And to that point, Michigan couldn't run the ball after that first play all night. If you take away that, that first run from Donovan Edwards, he averaged three yards a carry the rest of the night. That's just not Michigan football. It's not what, they, what they've done all year. And we've talked about how poorly Michigan played in that game and how awful it was and just how uncharacteristic what it was of Michigan football this year. And despite all of it, it was a six-point game. Like, they had a shot to win that game. And I think that's the most infuriating thing, if you remember the team, coaching staff, especially as a fan watching, is I'm going to run through these plays, and we've talked about a couple of them, but if any if any of these plays go the other way, it's a Michigan win. If J.J. doesn't throw just one of his two pick sixes, Michigan wins. If the interception is spotted at the correct yardage, two yards for, forward, Roman Wilson scores and Michigan wins. If Roman Wilson's touchdown was upheld and not overturned, Michigan wins. If Khalil Mullins doesn't fumble the ball at the one-yard line directly after the Roman Wilson touchdown was overturned, Michigan wins. If Jesse Minter doesn't send the house for the second time and get burned for the second time in this game and Johnston doesn't score a 76-yard touchdown on third down when Michigan just cut the lead to three, Michigan wins. If we run anything other than the freaking Philly special on fourth and goal and we somehow figure out a way to get that in the end zone, Michigan wins. I mean, I just listed off like seven plays that if any of them goes the other way, Michigan wins that football game. Like that's how badly they had to play. That's the amount of bad luck that they had to have, sprinkling some officiating in there. Like, they had to do so many things wrong. And that's the frustrating part. And that's what's going to haunt these players and these coaches knowing that they were playing 
their B minus game away from playing for a national championship. I, I'm I'm done with the moral victories and like trying to go through because uh, a it's just going to drive you crazy. It's like oh if this play went our way, if this play, but I mean Michigan fans have lived that for you know decades now. If one well, play, I know. if one if one play goes a different direction, the fact of the matter is you had opportunities to make those things go away. Ethan is right. You had two plays inside the one and you didn't get any points off of it. I think the most inexcusable thing is got to be the first and goal at the inch, literally. And that's where you can you controlled your own destiny. There's no refs. There's no nothing. There's, there's barely, I don't want to say barely a defense, but there's barely a, an opposition when you are that close. Just all J.J. needs to do, hike, snap the ball, and – Get the Mullings and Haskins to push you forward. Yeah, and, and I'm and I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to make it a moral victory for Michigan because I'm not pointing out those plays. I'm doing that because it makes me infuriated at the play calls at at JJ making uncharacteristic mistakes on the on the biggest stage. Like that's why I say those things because Jesse Minter did things that were out of character. The offensive coordinators, Weiss and Moore, did things that were out of character. Like how when Roman Wilson gets ruled an inch or a foot or whatever, you were inside one yard. How when you're ruled that close to the end zone is your first thought as a coach not, oh, QB sneak. We literally have a running quarterback. We put put someone big and chunky behind him and just push push him forward. JJ can literally fall forward into the end zone if you run a QB sneak. How is that not the first play that runs through your mind? Don't mess around. Don't try to do some quick fullback dive. Just hike the ball and fall forward, and it's a touchdown. The fact that that was not the first thing through any coach's mind is mind-boggling. And that's what I, that's the point that I was trying to make going through those plays, is that any of those things, if they're not overthought by the coaching staff, or if JJ just makes one or two better throws, it's a Michigan win. And that's how close you are. That's how close these games are at this level. And you have to be on your game. I think, only- it, I, oh, I think it just goes back to what I was saying about Michigan just not not deserving to win that game. You didn't make enough plays. You did not make enough plays. I agree. And that, that gets put on the defense. That gets put on the offense. It, it just is... Uh, man, it, it's so, so difficult. And a lot of people were griping about Harbaugh, the way he used the timeouts. He used them correctly, actually, for, so giving, for giving up a first down um, did, to yeah. get the ball back with the most possible amount of time because the clock stopped to reset for that first down. So it takes time off the play clock. So you actually get the most amount of time with the way he used the timeouts. But the fact that you can't get a stop and get the ball back with, you'd have the ball back with two plus minutes to try and score a touchdown. Defense couldn't make a stop. There are a thousand different micro, you know, little moments that you could point to in this game. Michigan never once didn't, they didn't do it. They didn't do it. And so they deserve to lose. I walked away from that game and I thought Michigan deserved to lose this game. 
They did not play well enough to win. You allowed TCU every single time it looked like you might have a chance. Every single time you allowed TCU to make the play they needed to make. Every time. You did. And, and, you and did. the you last did. play of the game, the last play of the game was a microcosm of how that game went for Michigan. Yeah. It was just, yeah, a little bit oh, well we, well, we have one more chance. Insert giant fart noise here. Because it's like, oh my gosh, we got another chance. And every time it happened, it was like snapping the ball right into your own nuts. And, and, was. and that was that was it. I mean, they, they deserved to lose and they did. And you can beat it to death, but boys, that's, that's just how it is. It is. I don't think we're disagreeing with you at all. It's, it's. No, it's, it's not that I think you're disagreeing with me. It's just how the level of frustration that I have. It's, it's the fact that I believe we were the better team and we played so, so poorly that we deserved to lose. Yep. That's exactly what happened. And and even if Michigan had scored a touchdown on that last drive and won, we would be all elated right now. No doubt about it. I'd be so excited. And I would think Michigan absolutely has a chance to win a national title. But I would still be telling you, we got lucky. We deserve to lose that game. Yeah, and we would. Two pick sixes, not scoring on two different times, having the ball inside the one. I would still be telling you right now we deserve to lose. And we would be extra confident knowing that they played their worst game of the year and they were able to escape. And at, at that point, you're going to say, I will, no I way will make an worse. argument. I will make an argument to say that they played worse against Illinois. Well, okay, that's fair. I don't think so, but it's, it's, it's irrelevant. As an entire it's team, irrelevant. probably. So Michigan and Ohio State, their seasons are done. Their seasons are over. It's time to go back to the drawing board and uh, time for fans to start. Time for Michigan to lose their head coach. I, we're not even going to talk about that this episode until until there's something more concrete to talk about with Jim Harbaugh. It's not getting brought up. I'm sorry. I've done this too many times in too many off seasons. Uh, all right. Quickly. We ran an Instagram poll asking everybody which one was the worst loss, Ohio State and Michigan. 86% of people said Michigan. I would agree just with how badly they had to play and it was still a close game. Michigan is also my answer, although our audience is probably a little skewed. I would actually say the worst loss was Ohio State. You played better. You were the better team and had a chance to win it on the very last play of the game and shanked a field goal. So I would, uh, I would say Ohio state, if we're just talking about what we saw and not what the expectation was, what my eyes told me was Ohio state should have won that game. My eyes did not tell me Michigan should have won. It depends on what your definition of worse is. What's yours? Uh, I mean, if you're talking about strictly like game played that you shouldn't have lost, it's Michigan. If you're talking about what hurts more, uh, maybe it's Ohio State, knowing that you gave it your best shot, you were the better, you were the better team the majority of the game, and you lose. Um, I'm still going to go with Michigan, probably just because this was the most deflating loss that I've seen in quite some time um, as a fan. Um, but 
uh, objectively, I think in a game where you're favored by seven and you end up losing by six, I think that's a little bit worse. All right, yeah. and I think I think that's fair. I just I I was more so reading the question as what I watched, like what did my eyes tell me, and my eyes told me that Ohio State should have won and they lost. So that was kind of how I read the question. All right, I don't know about you guys, but I am sick of being depressed, and I want to talk about something happy, even if it's not my football team. And so the football team we are going to talk about, the Penn State Nittany Lions. They won the granddaddy of them all. Oh, sorry, I had a burp. Um, they go out and beat Utah 35-21, to beat them by 14. And to be honest, this game, although it was close for a little bit, you never really felt like Penn State wasn't going to win this football game. At least that's how I felt. Uh, they forced two interceptions from Utah, one from their backup quarterback because Cam Rising got knocked out, um, but also one from Cam Rising earlier in the game. Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. I shouldn't say as much Katron Allen, although he did have a touchdown, but Nick Singleton, man, this kid is going to be a huge problem for the Big Ten in the coming years. True freshman had seven carries. Seven. Remember that number. Seven carries, 120 yards, averaging 17 a carry, and two touchdowns. The, the man is a – Is that good? It, it's, it's not bad. Okay. He's a big play machine. And Sean Clifford gets to have his going out party as uh, the Penn State quarterback, 16 of 22, 279. He had two touchdowns. Zero interceptions, and he got the applause. He 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 heard the cheers from all the Penn State fans who had, I mean, they were on the fence the whole time he was there as their quarterback, and there were even a bunch of them who wanted him to not be this year and wanted you know Drew Aller to be in there. But with that win, and as his career comes to an end, uh, let me pull this up. He was setting some records at Penn State career records. They were one game away from making the playoff this year. Think about that. If they beat Ohio State, if they beat Ohio State, who's the defensive end for Ohio State who went absolutely bonkers in the second half in that game? Yeah, there you go. Him. If he doesn't have the game of a lifetime and Penn State is actually able to win that game, Penn State's in the playoff. They They take Ohio State's spot. Sean Clifford is now the Penn State career leader in pass yards, pass touchdowns, completions, completion percentage, and tied first uh, in wins uh, with Trace McSorley. Dude is a legend no matter which way you slice it. Corey Call Trace McSorley. Uh, Nick Singleton, good. That, that That's basically it. He what? I think he had the two longest plays from scrimmage in Rose Bowl history. That's what that was. The, those yeah. touchdown runs. So he was he was unreal. He was he was uh, as the kids say uh, nasty. Um, He's a true freshman. He definitely had the freshman or a red shirt. True. Wow, that's scary. That's horrifying. 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 You know. You know what he I. Had- 
this is this is uh, just a thought because a, a little bit of a hypothetical for you. I, I remember I, I was really close with this Ohio State fan in college, and he would talk about JT Barrett like he was some sort of bum, just some like absolute trash quarterback. But JT Barrett is like, I believe, top five in a lot of Ohio State like passing, you know, you know, passing yards, uh, completion percentage, you know, wins, all of this stuff. I feel like it's similar with Clifford. It's like, I don't think anybody was really like, oh, this guy's pretty good. He was just kind of there and he just, you know, put up results for the majority of the time. Um, So good for Clifford being able to, I guess, cement a legacy with a Rose Bowl win. I will say, and this is completely irrelevant to the game, disappointed with Penn State's lack of incorporation of the Rose in their uniform because that's maybe one of the coolest things about the Rose Bowl is like you get to see some of like, you know, how the uniforms change with the, you know, the incorporation of the rows. And like, I was thinking like, they have the white helmets. Why not just do like outlines of like white roses in the helmets? That would have been so, so cool, but you know, it doesn't matter. They played a great game and it was a game that I think James Franklin, all of us agreed that he really needed to have. Uh, and you win by 14 against the back 12 champion. Pretty good. No matter how you slice it. Yeah. This- like we said, like we said a couple episodes ago, this sets Penn State up to have some momentum going into next year. A lot of talent returning on the roster, a lot of true freshman talent coming in with this recruiting class that's going to be top fifteen, borderline top ten, and you've got this these tandem of running backs, a couple of stud offensive linemen. Defense should still be good, although they're losing Joey Porter, uh, and then. The question becomes, how high of a ceiling does Drew Aller give you? And then can James Franklin coach you to some wins in big games? I have a feeling Penn State's going to give Michigan and Ohio State and and some top-tier teams headaches next year. I would like to make a public apology to James Franklin for what I said. Absolutely nothing! (laughs) Absolutely no one. <laughs> no, but I, I do think he coached a great game. Um, I don't I do not think that Utah is some like upper echelon, oh my gosh, unbelievable team. But I mean they did beat U USC twice, but USC also lost to Tulane. So I think it's I think it's just one of those things where they went out there. They played really well, and they deserved to win that game, and they did. Yep, they did. They went out there and uh, and beat a really good Pac-12 team, for sure. Corey's yelling at Ethan because of that noise that just came on his camera. Oh, no. Oh, Corey's the editor. Feel for him. Pray for him, people. Um, other bowl games that happened. Uh, the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl, baby. The big... 10 takes care of business and Minnesota wins 28 to 20, although they didn't cover. So I'm a little mad. Sucks. Oh, Hey, um, there was a, uh, a bowl game called the cheese It citrus bowl and uh, Purdue attended. That's it. They did. They attended the game. There's nothing else you need to say about it. You can look up the final score if you'd like. Um, the final score was 63. No, don't tell them to seven. <sighs> That was which one was seven? My money's on Purdue. That that was horrible. I'd watch that game and it was like, oh my gosh, they don't know how to play football. Good lord, it was so bad. 
It was horrific. Um, so yeah, Minnesota wins the Pinstripe Bowl. Purdue gets destroyed in the Cheese at Citrus Bowl. They were not feeling the cheesiest coach. They were not. The Duke's Mayo Bowl. Maryland, 16, NC State, 12, baby. And Mike Loxley got a mayonnaise bath. Although he was wearing one of those big hats for a portion of the mayonnaise bath. He did eventually take it off. He did eventually take it off, but I am a little bit upset that he didn't have it off the entire time. I mean, if you're going to... If you're going to be in the Duke's Mayo Bowl, you got to embrace the mayonnaise. Got to embrace the mayonnaise. Other ones. All right. The Transperfect Music City Bowl, Iowa 21, Kentucky 0. That was a big surprise. That was a big surprise. Even if Iowa won, I didn't expect it to be 21 zip. But in typical Iowa fashion, the defense accounted for 14 of those 21 points. You wouldn't want an Iowa season to end any other way. No, you wouldn't. Not one bit. And now they get to be excited about Cade McNamara and Eric All, and the Iowa hype train is officially on the move. Uh, really a quest bowl. Mississippi State 19, Illinois 10. If Illinois won that game, the whole world was going to be mad at them for it. Like Mississippi State needed to win that game. For Mike Leach to honor him, they had flags, they had helmet decals, like everything about that game was to honor Mike Leach. They did the delay game to start it off. So kudos to Mississippi State for winning that game. I'm sure Illinois is probably happy they didn't because no one wants to crash that party. Real quick, all-time bad beat in that game. Mississippi State was a three-and-a-half-point favorite. They kicked a field goal to essentially go up by three and win the game. Illinois ran a pitchy, pitchy woo-woo in the, in the words of uh, Scott Van Pelt. And fumble recovery by Mississippi State straight into the end zone. Hits and hits and covers the spread. Absolutely unreal. And that's going to be in the promo video for Bad Beats on, uh, on Scott Van Pelt's show. Couldn't believe it. It was, uh, it was crazy. It was crazy. So with that... The picks for the season are over. Ethan does take the crown at 62 and 54. I mean, boys. Uh, he was, was the only ever, one above 500. Was there ever a question? Was there ever a doubt? No. No. But let me tell you, I got better as the year went on, and I'm coming for the title next year. I ended up at 56 and 60, so I was six games behind you. And then Corey was bringing up the rear at 54 and 62, two games behind me. Listen. Corey, that's almost okay. Listen. <laughs> it's, not about, it's not about the size of the dog and the fight. It's about the, the, the fight of the dog and in, in, in the size. Mm. Amen, just, brother. And that's kind of how my picks went. Didn't make sense. I want to end the show on a on a happier note. We've been real depressed this for most of this. Uh, part of it was our own depression, and part of it was trying to be depressed on behalf of Ohio State, which is hard. But I'm going to end the show. We're going to do some New Year's resolutions, and we're going to go division by division in the Big Ten, and we're going to start with the worst team in each division and move our way up to the team that finished first. 
So do you want to start with the West or the East? Give us the West. All right. Big Ten West. Uh, I'll go. I'll go first. I'll go first. First team on the board, Northwestern. What is the New Year's resolution for the Northwestern Wildcats? Their New Year's resolution is to win a football game on American soil. I think that should be their only goal going into next year. Because as far as I know, they don't have any more games scheduled in Ireland or anywhere else besides America next year. And they, America's been tough for them. It has not been home field advantage. So New Year's resolution for Northwestern, win in America next year. My New Year's. You hate, you hate to see it. You hate to see it. My New Year's resolution for Northwestern is to invest in a weather machine because that's the only way they will be anywhere close in any of the games that they play, is if the weather is horrible. Nice. Ethan. Uh, I mean, how do you pick a New Year's resolution for this team? Please well, New Year's resolutions are all about getting better. So how does Northwestern get better? Can I, can I be honest? Can I give my honest opinion? And I've said this multiple times this year. Yeah, it's got to be an achievable goal. Or fire your head coach. <laughs> hire a new – okay, I'll make, it, I'll make it uplifting, okay? Hire a new head coach. There you go. That's good. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Encouraging. Yeah, that's We're all great. about encouraging. We're all, here, we're all here for you. We love you. Hire, yeah, we are. hire a new head coach. Yep. All right, next team up, Nebraska. Uh, new Year's resolution for Nebraska. I don't know. Who wants to go? Uh, I don't Go back to your roots, I guess. I, you tried to do that with Scott Frost. It didn't work, but just go back to the rough and tough ways of Nebraska football. Seem to work for Michigan these past two years. Maybe, maybe give it a try, um, or just buy into buy into a winner. And Matt rules as close to a winner in college football as it gets right now. Uh, Nebraska's New Year's resolution is to get Dylan Riola to commit to them, because if they can manage to pull that off, that could be a difference maker for them as a program. So that is their New Year's resolution: get Dylan Riola on the squad. My New Year's resolution for Nebraska, and I'm going to set this in a way that I, I, I think is achievable, and I think you can go out and do this. I would love to see Nebraska go out and, oh, man, are, are we talking about just for the off season or for this new year, for the new year? The new year. The new year. I want to see you go above 500 in the Big Ten. Ooh. Go over 500 in your first year under Matt Rule in the Big Ten. I like it. I like it. Win a one-score game. Oh, <laughs> no. Come on. We said obtainable goals. Oh, oh sorry. Sorry. I, didn't, I was unaware. Come on. I, I was I wasn't paying attention. I apologize. Uh, Wisconsin's New Year's resolution, Ethan. What should the Badgers be looking to do in the new year? 
Wisconsin should be looking to win the Big Ten West. I was going to say the same exact thing. Wisconsin, your New Year's resolution, the 2023 Big Ten West representative in the Big Ten championship game. Simple as that. Embrace competition. You're going to have a little bit of a loaded quarterback room, at least for Wisconsin standards, in for this upcoming season. Don't just give it to the guy who's been there just because he's been there, and don't give it to the shiny new transfer just because he's transferred. Have somebody win that job and take hold of it, because if somebody wins it and takes hold of it, that's instant leadership. And leadership from the quarterback position is seemingly something Wisconsin has lacked for a couple seasons. All right, next one up. Minnesota. Uh, I think Minnesota's New Year's resolution is you got to figure out how to row without Mo. He's not going to be there anymore. Thank you. Thank you. He ain't there anymore. You can't just hand it off to him 35 times a game and, and, you know, beat him up, but him getting those yards after contact is not going to happen. He's not in the room anymore, and neither is Tanner Morgan. So it's a refresh for Minnesota. you got to row without Mo next year. Okay, so for Minnesota, your New Year's resolution, and, and listen, multiple teams can have the same resolution, okay? But I'm not going to set that the standard quite that high for Minnesota. You are losing, you're losing your best player in Mo Ibrahim. But I I gotta see, I have to see a step forward, and I cannot see a step back. I need you to. We're we're gonna go with one word, okay? You have a one word resolution: develop. I have to see some developed talent on the offensive and defensive side of the ball for Minnesota, because I feel like they're playing at a tier that is just subpar to what we signed up for under P.J. Fleck. So I need to see him develop talent in the offseason, and I need to see them take, I'm not, I'm not saying a major leap forward, but a firm step in the right direction. And I want to be surprised by not just players on Minnesota next year, but by position groups as a whole. Side note, Minnesota has a six-game bowl winning streak. So quietly, very successful Big Ten team in the postseason. My New Year's resolution, climb the mountain. What do I mean by that? I've seen, I watched a little bit of this game. This Kilimanjaro kid has a bit of a future there. I think he's got the workings and makings to be a pretty strong quarterback in the Big Ten West. And it could happen as soon as... Next year, he got a lot of valuable experience because Tanner Morgan was hurt. They didn't want to bring him back. He got hurt in this game. Um, Climb the mountain. Give this kid the reins and see where you can go with it. That might be your playmaker that develops. Next one, Illinois. My New Year's resolution for Illinois, I mean, you're losing Chase Brown. You're losing Sidney Brown. Tommy DeVito's not coming back. You're losing a lot of those NFL defensive backs. The only goal for Illinois is don't let the bottom drop out. Like, you can't come into next year after almost getting to Indianapolis and, like, finish last or second to last in the Big Ten West. 
So just don't let the bottom fall out and see if you can get to a bowl game next year. Okay, for me, oh, see, this one. This one's tough for me. I, I'm so sorry. Corey, what did you what was your what was your thing? I'm gonna say solidify your identity. You got a little bit of a reputation this year for being a really tough defensive team and doing just enough to get by an offense with a very talented running back and essentially should have been a Heisman trophy, at least contender. Um, you've created that reputation essentially from scratch or when Bielema got there. Um, and the bottom right. the bottom falling out would be going away from what made you so successful this year, so and that I was your defense. I, I agree with you, but the reason I asked you to, to say that was because you are going from having a game-altering player, just like Minnesota. However, your defense played at an incredibly high level for the vast majority of the season. So I, for Illinois... I would say stay the course. I know it's not a huge New Year's resolution, but you made such leaps and bounds in 2022 that it's okay to have the New Year's resolution of stay the course. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay on this trajectory. Because what you just did was a monumental accomplishment as far as Illinois standards go. So I would say... Keep it going. Keep going. Corey, let's give this one to you first. The champs of the Big Ten West, baby. The Purdue Boilermakers. What do you have on the horizon for them in the new year? What is your New Year's resolution for your Boilermakers? Near and dear to my heart. Boiler up as an honorary member. Um, build that culture. Become a program that is no longer a stepping stone for coaches to have some success and then get up and leave. You could have that with Walters coming in, and maybe you've even seen that. I know it was small, but just instantly the first thing he did was to put one of their leading offensive players on scholarship. That makes an impact to say, hey, like I've noticed this even from afar, and I want to make sure that we solidify. These are the things, the characteristics that we value here you saw how it changed the michigan football program these past few seasons build that culture and you could get players to buy in at a rate that you've never seen before and essentially make purdue a legitimate every year contender so i would say for purdue oh, see and this is so tough because you are losing your head coach you're losing your starting quarterback I'm going to say for Purdue that your New Year's resolution is do not blunder. So don't go from what you just were and and as bad as you might have been and still won the Big Ten West. you, you You did have a season where you made it to that Big Ten West championship game. Do not fall to a team that wins four games next season. Don't become that team. I want to see you. Okay, here. I have I have it. Are you ready? Your New Year's resolution, bowl game or bust. That is your New Year's resolution for Purdue. My New Year's resolution for the Purdue Boilermakers is to get smaller numbers on their jerseys. 
I cannot stand how big the numbers are on their jerseys. It annoys the crap out of me so much. Like, I can't even imagine what it would look like for someone at Purdue to wear the number 88. I think it would wrap around their body and connect to the numbers on the front. So if you're listening to this and you either are or know somebody in the Purdue facility on their design team, please do something about the size of those numbers on those jerseys. Please. Next one up. Or we got to switch to the Big Ten East. No, we New don't. Year's resolution. No, we don't. We missed. Who? We missed Iowa. Oh, my fault. I totally you skipped Iowa. Idiot. All right. Just kidding. Uh, I've got I'll... it. I've got it for everybody. You want to hear it? You want to hear it? It's yes. three words. Fire Brian Ferentz. That's it. That's all you need to do. Literally, you do that, you put someone who knows what an offense is, knows what a football looks like. You might have something special there. You might. Uh, my New Year's resolution for Iowa is Cade can't do it all. Mm. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> the, Cade, the Cade to Eric All connection coming straight out of the Michigan pipeline is going to be huge for them. And it needs to prove to be a tandem that makes that offense finally click. So Cade can't do it all, or Cade can do it all. Either way you want to say it, either way you want to say it, but it's there has to be an offensive breakthrough for this team. And yes, it definitely involves firing that mortifying coach. At offensive coordinator. Uh, my New Year's resolution kind of ties both years in together because in firing Brian Ferentz and bringing in Cade McNamara, you might get the result of my New Year's resolution for Iowa, which is adopt the forward pass. <laughs> if you get someone in there who's watched football that's been played since 1940 it might actually happen at iowa and you may get some games where you score more than your defense does so we'll see i know it's very far-fetched but we'll see okay now we can switch to the big 10 east let's start off with Rutgers. Corey, do you have a new year's resolution for Rutgers? I don't even know. I, I just I don't know what to do with this team. You you bring back Shiano, who gave you your most successful Rutgers team, and it's just uh, I, I don't know. The New Year's resolution: reel in the Big Ten Network money because <laughs> you're. I I've got it. I've got it. Okay, I've got because it because I'm at a loss. Rutgers, your New Year's resolution is to not screw it up. Indiana is going to be so bad. Like, Indiana football is going to be horrible. And Rutgers, if you don't screw it up, they'll finish lower than you. And you won't be last in the Big Ten East anymore. So Rutgers, just, just don't screw it up. 
You everything is in front of you to finish second to last in the Big Ten East. <laughs> High stand. It is right there for the taking. Just don't screw it up. Let Indiana do their thing and go and get that second to last place finish in the Big Ten East. It is right there. Don't let it slip away. Rutgers, your New Year's resolution is don't be a disappointment. Because that's all you've been since you've come to the Big Ten. It's like a kid. You're like that that one kid in the family that has like a ton of kids and they're all real successful. And you're that one that everybody looks at and you're just like, ugh, why are you a part of this family? So, yo, <laughs> just I don't have a positive thing to say about Rutgers because you're bad at everything. Stick to basketball. They're pretty decent at that. Yeah, you beat, okay, you beat Purdue. Great job, but you're you're just a horrible child. And even when you do something right, it just reminds us how most of the time you do everything wrong. So <laughs> your New Year's resolution is leave our conference. It'll never happen. All right, uh, Corey, do you want to start off with Indiana's New Year's resolution? Yes, it's one word, care. <laughs> Because the fans don't care about football. Tom Allen might be the only person who cares about Indiana football. And the problem is, he's not very good at coaching football. Care. Because you just just had, what, three Indiana players get poached from their program to Michigan? Care. Care about football. Or give the fans a reason to care about football. Don't make the 2020... COVID year, a complete and absolute fluke. Care. My New Year's resolution for Indiana is to just let it happen. Just let it happen. You know, like, I mean, I never had, I don't have a brother, but like, you know, you, two, you see like two brothers, like an older and younger brother wrestling or like a dad and a son or something. And, and the far superior fighter has them in a headlock. And they keep trying to fight back. And the more they fight, the tighter the headlock gets. And it just, just let it happen. Just let it happen. Just, just fall down and tap out. Just let it happen. It's no use fighting it. So, Indiana, just, just fall on your face. Let it happen. And then hit reset after next year. I think we're getting dangerously close to their New Year's resolution being hire a new coach. Um, because as, as, as good as that 2020 season was, these last two years have been woefully horrible. So you had a great COVID year, but since then you have been a major letdown. So, no, you know what? I'm going to give them a New Year's resolution. I want Indiana to win one game where they are a two-touchdown underdog. This season, this, this year, Indiana win one game where nobody expects you to win, show up and win it. Could be cool against Ohio state. Cool. I think what happened is that COVID came and Indiana just never got it. Like everyone else got COVID like real early on. And Indiana was that one person who was like, Oh, I haven't even gotten it yet. But, but now Indiana has COVID. And everyone else has either 
been vaccinated or they've had it at this point. A and now Indiana analysis. A perfect analysis. That is incredible. Stupid Indiana. This this is this is what this this show is all about. Incredible analysis, and that's what that was right there. We are an hour and seventeen minutes. We late, gotta go. Boys. We gotta go. Right, right. Uh, Ethan, Michigan State's New Year's resolution. Michigan State's New Year's resolution: Don't get people sent to prison. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but seriously, um, I, I'm I'm gonna set. I'm gonna. You have lofty goals. You have one of the highest paid coaches in the country. Your your goal. And this includes postseason. You must win nine games. You must. You have to win nine games. I'm setting it as a specific number, and I'm giving you a very strict one. So nine games. I don't want. I don't want to say because I don't want to be so cliche. But keep shopping. Uh, be be that team that Michigan fans have been scared to play every year because they're so gritty. They're so they've got that chip on their shoulder and they embrace that. Because this year they did not, and they kind of instead of rising to the occasion, they faltered and they cracked and they failed. Just about every time they faced adversity, that's not what made Michigan State or put them back on the map. Keep chopping. Corey actually just changed my New Year's resolution because I forgot about all of the different catchphrases and like quirky brand things that Michigan State has. So my New Year's resolution for Michigan State is to dial in the chance and the the brand stuff. Like they have Chop Chop, which was a Rutgers thing. Now and then they have Spartan Dog for Life which is some little dog logo. Then they have their student section is called the deep, which is supposed to be like some ocean thing. And then they obviously have Sparty, who's like a Roman soldier. And then they have tuck coming. And it's like, you, you, you got to stop. It's too much. You just go out and play football. You don't need any more fancy catchphrases or, you know, we're taking this team to the deep and just, just go play football, go in football games. And then subsequent to that, stop wearing your stupid lime green alternate uniforms. They suck and they're super ugly and everyone hates them except you guys. Horrible. Horrible uniform. Maryland. New Year's resolution for Maryland. I'll go. Um, beg Talia Tagovailoa to come back because you're not going to be any good if he leaves. Personally, I don't think so. I say uh, pick a conference identity. Are you going to be an ACC school in the Big Ten, or are you going to be a Big Ten school in the Big Ten? Uh, but if you are going to pick one, you have to fully commit to it. So you could either be that outlier in the Big Ten that could try to make something happen, or you can adapt to the game that is played in this conference. That's funny because mine for Maryland is time to play defense. It, it's time to commit yourself to getting the correct players on defense and playing good defense. You have to have a defensive identity in the Big Ten to win games. Uh, Playing games like an ACC school, unless you have an Ohio State-type offense, you're not going to win, and Maryland isn't going to get that. So 
you have to commit to the defensive side of the ball, get better over there, start moving forward. Penn State, my New Year's resolution for Penn State, you've got a lot of hype going into next year, and you've got a lot of talent to go along with that. Now, your your Big Ten championship window will not open and close with next year. I think it will be open for a minimum of two. So my New Year's resolution for Penn State is to beat either Michigan or Ohio State next year and finish at worst second in the Big Ten East. I think that's a very reasonable and attainable goal, but something they still got to work real hard for. I say ride the momentum. You're, you were able to put some of the the noise aside of, is James Franklin, can he coach in the big game, blah, 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 all that with the Rose Bowl win. Carry that into next season. You've got some very talented skill players, and you could make noise. Ride the momentum. Carry that with you. You're going to have a lot of hype, but you just got to believe in yourself, as corny as that is, but ride it. Ride the momentum. Carry it into next year. Including the postseason, 11 games. Win 11 games. You just went out and had a tremendous season in which you won the Rose Bowl, but you did not beat either of the two best teams that you played all season. Next season, just like Alex said, you must win one. You have to. Ohio State and Michigan run this conference right now, specifically Michigan over the last two years. You have to beat one of them. You want to join the big table? You're going to have to start matching the bite with the bark. And that's going to that's gonna take you beating one of those two teams. You got to beat one of them, and you need to be threatening to make the playoff. Your last three weeks of the season next year need to be you're in the conversation for the playoff. Totally agree. Ohio State, the New Year's resolution for them, it should be the same every year. If you didn't win the Big Ten before, win it next year. Like, that is the... That is the lowest the bar goes at Ohio State uh, in terms of expectations for a season. So, I mean, we'll, we'll probably all say the same thing, to be honest. But I think Ohio State fans and the team and the program, their New Year's resolution is to go back and be the champs of the Big Ten again. I couldn't agree more. Win some hardware. That's it. Whatever that looks like. You can, you can win a national championship without winning the conference. I'm sure Ohio State would take that. That's your resolution. Win some hardware. I think your your resolution, and I think it it's you need to be a little bit realistic here. And yes, I do understand that teams like Ohio State have a tendency to just reload, but you are going to see a lot of turnover on that team, a lot, a lot of turnover. Um, they're going to be starting a brand new quarterback with no experience. I mean, all of these guys that we have seen over the last several years have at least gotten some experience before it's been their time to come in and be the guy. You are going to be starting somebody fresh with, I mean, little to zero experience. So do not become a team that in you can't lose three games. Don't lose three games. That can't happen. It has to be a two-loss season or less. 
That's that's what I would set it for, for Ohio State. And I think I'm being very realistic when I say that. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. All right, last one for New Year's resolutions, the Michigan Wolverines. I'll go first on this one. Go for it. You find a way to keep Jim Harbaugh. That is your New Year's resolution. Sometime in the next week to maybe at the very most two weeks. You have a press conference with Jim Harbaugh and you're announcing a contract extension and a buyout somewhere upwards of $15 million in that contract. So that way, all of this year over year, all this different stuff. And listen, there is a very, very good chance with the turnover that's happening at the top echelon programs from this year to next, especially at the quarterback position with Alabama, with Ohio State, there is a very real possibility that Michigan could be the preseason number one team next year. You must find a way to sign Jim Harbaugh to a huge contract and get him to stay. I don't care where they're ranked in the preseason. I don't care how it's done. I don't care if they win the Big Ten Conference or not how they get into the playoff, back in, play Georgia again. I do not care. My one resolution, because I'm sick and tired of this all, win it. Win the whole thing. Because if anything is clear, is that Michigan's future is very unclear. Ethan just pointed it out. We talked about this earlier. You have an opportunity to essentially bring back your starting five-star quarterback who had an exceptional freshman year or First year's a starter, excuse me. There's rumors of having both of your running backs coming back. Don't know if those are true or not. The time, as many people think it was this year, yes, this was your best opportunity to date, but you still have an excellent opportunity next year. And if you capitalize on that, I don't care what happens to Jim Harbaugh the year after that. Or if they go, oh, and whatever. I don't think anybody in LSU is really caring all that much about what happened after they went undefeated and won the national championship. Flags fly forever. I'm sick and tired of this. Win the whole thing. I won't go quite as far as Corey did, but my New Year's resolution is to raise the expectation or or raise the ceiling maybe is a better way to put it. Because right now the ceiling for Michigan as a football program is making the college football playoff, not winning a game, not playing for the national championship, but simply making it to the final four. And next year, like Corey said, the championship window is still open. You'll have a lot of these guys coming back. You had a good recruiting class last year with freshmen who got playing time and who are going to grow and get better and faster and stronger. So next year, raise the ceiling for this program and win a college football playoff game and go play for a national championship. All right, we're an hour 28 into this thing. You are definitely sick of hearing from us, so we're skipping questions from listeners. So sorry to the three people who submitted questions, Corey, my dad, and my Um, (laughs) father-in-law. Don't tell them that. (laughs) I'm editing that out. Um, All right, 
Well, thank you for listening to us as this was basically a therapy session for the three of us as we vented about our teams. Um, please subscribe. Please follow along. Follow us on Instagram at Big Show Pod. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the same handle. And we'll still be making content in the offseason. We're not sure exactly what it's going to look like, but we still got one more week till the official offseason anyway. So we're going to figure that out and let everybody know what we're doing. But thank you for listening. It's been a heck of a season for Big Ten football, and we still got a national championship game to watch. So peace out, and thank you all.